0: If you've got your Bibles this morning, could you turn with me to Exodus chapter 1, the book of Exodus chapter 1, beginning at the first verse, God's word. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers in all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithon and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of his word. Let's pray as we turn to reflect on God's word. Lord God, thank you for ancient words. Thank you for stories of how you have worked in the past, how you have made yourself present. We pray that you would be present with us now. Open our eyes and our hearts to the moving of your spirit and to the inspiration of your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we begin a new series on Exodus, the second book in both the Hebrew and the Christian Bibles. We're going to pursue this series in Exodus right through to Easter, which comes early this year. But even spending these nine weeks on Exodus, we will only get through half of the book. You may have seen depictions of the story of Exodus in films. One of the most well-known was the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston and Ewell Brenner. Another that has just been made into a musical is the Prince of Egypt. There's lots of drama, tension and excitement in this book so it's no wonder that it's been made popular in films but the exodus story in the bible is not a story to be read or understood in isolation it is part of a bigger story it is part of god's big story that starts in creation and ends with the coming of the people of God into that city that we find in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where it speaks of a city which is the fulfillment of all the exoduses to all the promised lands throughout all of history. First I'd like to say something about what I hope we will achieve through this series, and then let's dive into this morning's passage. My hope for this series is that as we read and study this book of Exodus in its proper context, in the context of that whole big story of scripture, that we will understand Exodus as it reveals. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is that we will read this book as a book that has much to say to us, all of us, in our journey out of slavery and into freedom in a land that is promised to us just as much as it was promised to to the ancient people portrayed in Exodus. Many folks misunderstand the story of Exodus, as it is told in the book of Exodus. They misunderstand it because they take it in isolation. Some people, when they read the book in isolation and out of context and without the correct presuppositions, Get the idea from reading this book that that God is capricious, that he is vengeful, that he is bloodthirsty. And they read it, despite a great deal of evidence, to the contrary, to be a story that lionizes the people, one people, the people of Israel, and vilifies another, the people of Egypt. This, however, is not the case. The God who reveals himself in Exodus is the God who revealed himself throughout the Bible in both the Old and the New Testaments. And here in Exodus, God is just as compassionate, just as patient, just as loving as he is anywhere else in Scripture. And as for lionizing the people of Israel, Exodus tells a story of people who are grumbling, faithless, and forgetful. Not the kind of story that you would make up if you wanted to show your family or your people in a good light. Okay, to the passage. Exodus opens by telling us the names of the heads of families the sons of Jacob, of Israel. These families who have come to reside in Egypt 400 years before the time of this telling. The descendants of this family are there in Egypt because of the exploits of Joseph, whose story we learn in detail in the second half of Genesis. The writer of Exodus doesn't want us to forget. Doesn't want us to forget that Joseph and his family were at one time welcome, that they were very welcome in Egypt. They were welcome there because at one time the Egyptians and their leader realized just what a blessing these folks were to have in their midst. Joseph, because of his different perspective on things because of his connection with God was able to interpret dreams and because of that he was able to help the whole of Egypt and indeed the whole world at that time to escape famine that was sweeping the land then in the time of Joseph the king of Egypt praised the God of Joseph. And when Jacob, Joseph's father, dies, the king of Egypt sends emissaries to participate in the funeral, which was a worship service that takes place in Canaan to bury Jacob. In the time of Joseph, when the Israelites were welcome in Egypt, Pharaoh sends his representatives to worship God right alongside the Hebrew people. That is quite a contrast to what we see later transpiring here in Exodus. But even after Joseph dies, the situation for the people of Israel remained good. The descendants of Jacob are described as being fruitful and multiplying, fruitful and multiplying. That's language that is meant to make us think back to how God intended all of humanity to be from the very beginning. You remember that in Genesis, human beings are told to be fruitful and multiply. So here in the first seven verses of our passage, we have the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, fulfilling God's calling to humanity to adam by being fruitful and multiplying but the people of israel are also fulfilling god's calling to their ancestor abraham that we find in genesis 12:15 and 17 for just as god called abraham to be a blessing to the whole world so in this passage The children of Israel are a blessing to their Egyptian neighbors. What a contrast this is, however, to the situation that we see described following verse 8. Through the fickle machinations of one despotic leader, the Egyptians come to fear the Israelites, these people who had been blessing them. Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, tells his people that they must fear the Israelites precisely because they are being blessed themselves and they have proven to be a blessing. He says, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. They've been blessed. They will become even more numerous And if war war breaks out, they will join our enemies, they will fight against us, and they will leave the country. Now, there's no substance to the allegation that the Israelites would ever join Egypt's enemies. Up until now, the Israelites have only been a boon for Egypt. They've only been their friends. They've only been a blessing. But because they feared the Israelites, the Egyptians treated them harshly. True enough, the Israelites would one day leave Egypt. That was never a secret. That was always God's plan for his special people. That was a clear part of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15. But surely, When the time came for the people of God to leave Egypt, their leaving according to God's plan would also be a blessing to the Egyptians. That's just how it works. So there's no rhyme or reason that the Egyptians should fear the Israelites. But the fear comes about because one man gets it into his head for his own political reasons despite the evidence that these people are a threat and this one man has sufficient power to conv- convince others of the truth of his claim does that sound familiar and what is the result of this harsh treatment that comes about because of the fear the Egyptians feel. Miraculously, the text says, the more the Israelites were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. But it also says that the Egyptians, not surprisingly, came to dread these people who had lived peaceably amongst them for 400 years. They came to dread them You see, it is only natural that when you mistreat others, you begin to dread that they might retaliate against you, even if they have no intention of doing so. Fear leads to brutality and brutality leads to dread and dread leads to even harsher treatment. It's a vicious cycle And it is one that we have seen throughout history. Sadly, there are so many contemporary examples of this situation that I wouldn't know where to start in pointing out for you. Suffice it to say that whenever minority groups who are distinguishable because of their ethnicity or their skin color, color, live amongst others there's a possibility of them being treated just like the Israelites were treated and so we need to take care that this doesn't happen in our society and in our place throughout the five books of Moses and throughout all of scripture this care For the stranger is a recurring message. Treat the stranger and the alien well. Treat them well precisely because they are precious and they are vulnerable. They are precious to God and to society because they are those who can bring something that is often missing in a homogeneous group of people. They're different. They bring a different perspective. And they are vulnerable because they can be marked out as different and they can be persecuted for their differences. I came across a wonderful project the other day, just this last week. Where churches following this biblical mandate to care for the stranger and the alien are preparing to look after people who are coming to our country. This project is called Hong Kong Ready Churches. It's a project to help churches get ready to welcome the more than 130,000 Hong Kong residents who, because of all sorts of reasons, will be emigrating to the uk this year this project is an attempt to welcome and to bless well maybe that's something that you and i would like to get involved in and if you'd like to find out more just contact me and we can discover about this project together so in this first chapter of exodus we have this situation This terrible situation in which the people of God now find themselves oppressed by the Egyptians in Egypt. But the question arises in this situation, where's God? These people who were meant to be God's special people... These people, who are called by God's name, are hurting. And what is God doing about it? Where is he? Now, of of course, God is present. God is the always present, the always present everywhere, present creator and sustainer of the universe. And God is here in this situation with the children of Israel, as surely as he is in any situation, God is the creator of the moral order, and God stands in judgment against the cruelty of the Egyptians and their despotic king. And God stands as a comforting present for his oppressed people. God is present in the story. That we will look at next week as brave and compassionate women stand up to and against Pharaoh. But the question remains, why isn't God acting in judgment against the Egyptians now? Why isn't God helping his people? We don't hear about God's response to this situation until the end of the second chapter. After more than 80 years of dreadful tyranny. And meanwhile, babies have been slaughtered. And the whole Hebrew population has been subjected to systemic and systematic oppression. Why didn't God act sooner? This is the perennial question, isn't it? Where is God when people are hurting? Where is God? Why is he taking so long to come to the rescue? Because God tarries, does it mean he doesn't care? He does care, and he was surely acting even then in situation and in ways that we aren't told about. But the most important thing to bear in mind in this situation, in this story, and in every situation where people are hurting is that God's timing is often not the timing that we Would want. The Bible elsewhere says of the most important mission of rescue that God would ever initiate that when the time was right, God sent His Son. In another passage written to folks who were also longing for God to come to their rescue, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. God alone knows when the time is right. God alone has the wisdom that can see all space and time and every circumstance. Although it is painful, We who can only see so far must trust that God has good reason to wait. And although it can be difficult, we need to trust that God who is good will do what is good and right at just the right time. We all have suffered through this pandemic. Some of us have suffered more than others. Some have lost loved ones. Others have been so very lonely. And some families are feeling the opposite of lonely. I know some mums and dads are craving just for a little bit of alone time. And all of us, all of us are feeling that the necessary lockdown and special measures seem to be unending. I wonder if the children of Israel didn't feel the same. 400 years is a long time to wait for the fulfillment of a promise to get home to Canaan. And then another 40 years of seemingly random wandering in the desert seems to be even more torture. But with hindsight, God had a plan. Among other things, God was shaping a people who would learn to depend on him above all else. Among other things, God was shaping a people who would understand that having him present in their lives as redeemer and guide was worth more than any security in Egypt. In hindsight, thousands of years later, this time spent in Egypt and these subsequent events of Exodus were significant precursors to the life of Christ, his death and resurrection that event where God would bless not just Israel with freedom from Egypt, but God would bless the whole world, Egypt included, with redemption full, free and unending. Could God be using this present moment to do the same for us? Could God be using our situation To shape us and lead us to something bigger and better than we have yet known. As lockdown continues, let's be real about the challenges and how we are feeling about them. But let's also be aware that God has a plan, even if we can't see it or understand it at the moment. Let's spend this time leaning in to God, listening to God as he shares his wisdom with us through his word and through his people. Let's spend this time learning to trust in him daily as our redeemer and our guide. And someday like the faithful children of Israel we'll be able to look back and it will all make sense but for now let us do as his word says let's look after our neighbor and the strangers among us and let's trust and wait on God God who will surely come to the rescue just the right time and in just the right way amen and may god bless to us this reflection on his word this morning